if you're new today, uh, I do not want to spend a lot of time reviewing. So guess what? It's online, right? Um, you can go back. You can watch uh, online. Again, uh, you have the Bible app there to help you follow through. But we're in this series where it's this idea that obviously you and I are engaged in uh, a war that uh, is the most important, most consequential of all wars. That is the war for your soul, the battle for your soul. And um, by virtue of being born, you have entered into this conflict. You got drafted, um, and that's, that, that's just the reality. And yet, in the middle of this conflict with this unbelievable enemy that we have, you know what? Forget this. I can't sit down and talk. I have these grand plans to sit down and talk, and I can't do it. So, excuse me for that. Uh, ben told me I wouldn't be able to, so should have listened to him. Here's the simple thing is this, these three points before we move on. Oh, don't do this to me. <clears throat> if you don't know, you can't win, right? If you don't know, you can't win. Uh, the devil, Satan, again, is who our adversary is. And if you're new today and you're all about Jesus, but you're skeptical of the devil, guess what? Jesus was all about the reality of the devil. Can't believe in Jesus and all he was about and not believe in the fact that there is actually a, a devil that is the adversary of your soul who's trying to rob, kill, and destroy your life. And so if you don't, if you can't win if, you don't, if you're not aware of this conflict that's, that's going on. Second thing is this. Um, you and I have been equipped to win. We have been equipped to win. Um, uh, 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 you've been equipped to win. Yeah, I'm just going to need you there, Ryan. Sorry, man. Uh, not only has God given us new life and empowered and strengthened our life, but as Paul wrote this book, he wanted him to understand that I've showed you everything that God has done for you, he wants to do with you, um, this new life that you have. And he finishes with this idea that but I need you to be aware that you are engaged in this conflict. And yet I have done something about it. I have equipped you to win. And that equipping is in this idea uh, that Paul uses this metaphor of the armor of God. And you've been equipped to win. And we're going to notice as we finish this series, not only have we been equipped, but we have been empowered for victory. We have been empowered for victory. And so this morning, after we've talked about uh, belt and breastplate and shoes and a shield of faith, this morning we're simply looking at the first part of verse 17, which uh, would say this. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Uh, here's, a, here's a couple pictures of what a helmet looked like on a Roman soldier, right? Uh, you've seen this before. You're not unfamiliar with this. The other one uh, is a little bit of a variation of it. Uh, it covered more of the, uh, the, the nose piece. If you want to go to that next um, uh, picture. Uh, uh, but this is the helmet that Paul would have seen on a Roman soldier that was so common 
in those days, recognizable even today because of all of the, uh, the movies and the dramas that have been created. We're very familiar with this. Now, the idea of the helmet was to do one thing, was to protect that pretty face. Right? Is it not? Like, at all costs in battle, you have to protect that pretty face. Is that, is that the case? That sounds absurd, doesn't it? The helmet was focused on primarily protecting one other thing that's on your neck, correct? That is your brain, your mind. I've been thinking about this this week, and this is just a sideline real fast, but I want you to chew on this. I hope you think about this. Um, we are so focused in our culture on the face and not the brain. The substance of our lives matter far more than the image of our our world is inundated, the systems of our world, the kingdoms of our world, the, the enemy that controls this world is trying to sow into this world the lie that your image matters far more than the substance of your life. And just as absurd as it is to, for me to say, hey, the whole point of this was to protect that pretty face. No, it's to protect your brains. Right? So too, it is, it is important for us to grab a hold of that the things that matter the most in our lives have to do with the substance of our character, not the image of this body. Can I get an amen? amen. Think about how much time and energy and anxiety and fear that you've had over the image you are putting out there. When really, the thing that matters the most is who you are as a person, right? That's just a sideline. Again, this, the helmet, all right? The helmet was, think about the, the battle that, that, that would be waged at that time. There was a, there was a, a little dagger that was used often. We're going to talk about that next week. Justin's going to talk about that next week. The sword of the spirit, right? The little dagger that was very easily, and it was what you um, would use uh, in hand-to-hand combat often. But often, what was also carried by a number of soldiers in warfare was a thing called the broadsword, three to four feet long, huge, massive handle, uh, on the end, and it was basically like a baseball bat, but it was a sword. I mean, this thing was, was weighty, two-edged. I mean, it was kind of heavy, and it was three to four feet long. It wasn't your little dagger that you're trying to uh, cut and thrust with. This, when you were swinging this, you were trying for maximum damage. In fact, they just found in excavating, it's kind of gross, but they found a soldier or someone who obviously had been in battle and their head was split clear down. Even to this day, the way that, and it was, they were hit with a broadsword. That was the idea. I'm swinging the broadsword and I'm trying to hit you in the head and do maximum damage. I'm taking you out 
with the broadsword. And so most of the time, the helmet was primarily worn to protect itself against the broadsword. The broadsword. This this thing that causes maximum casualties. It's an assault weapon that is not subtle. It's not like the fiery darts that are, that are shot from arrows behind a wall and come out of nowhere. This is very apparent, very oppressive. It carries with it the idea of how the enemy will often fight us in this warfare. He come as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's the kind of weaponry that this broadsword carries with it. And that's why you and I are called to wear a helmet of salvation. These things varied because there was no mass production. It was all individual. But this is the, the kind of the idea that stands behind the, the helmet that was worn. The primary reason for the helmet protection, though, was this. Think about it. You can have quality of life with one eye, maybe even zero eyes, with one ear, maybe even two ears, with a broken, messed up nose. You can still have quality of life, correct? In many ways. Very difficult to live with quality of life if your brain has been damaged. And so the helmet that's put on is primarily the idea of a soldier was to protect my brain. You know, this armor is so closely intertwined with each other, and so there's often overlap. But in the helmet, we are reminded of the necessity of a healthy mind to be equipped to win. I, I would say it this way, that... Our thoughts have far more influence on us than our circumstances and our relationships. I want you to grab a hold of that. Our thoughts have far more influence on us than our circumstances and our relationships. Think about your own life. Your circumstances and relationships can be great, and yet if your mind is not healthy, if your mind is not what we say right, you can absolutely mess up the quality of your life. Can you not? Like great relationships, great circumstances, and yet you can walk around messed up and not having a good quality of life because your mind is not right. Right? Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about, right? I definitely know what this is about, okay? All right? On the flip side... I have seen this lived out so many times, and the scriptures uh, teach this, that your relationships and your circumstances can be bad, and yet if your mind is right, your quality of life can be good. Your thoughts have far more influence on you than even your relationships and your circumstances. And in this picture of spiritual warfare and how we're equipped, it obviously comes back around to the quality, to the, uh, the environment, to the health of our minds. And it's something that the scriptures will talk about repeatedly. And so if you look at this, take the helmet 
of salvation. You're going to see that in this verse, take, this word, is a strong word. It's grab a hold of. It's an intentional, deliberate act. And you know this from series that we've preached here about the mind, that every time that when the Bible talks about the mind, it calls you and I to be very intentional, very deliberate. It uses words like set your mind on things above, right? It's an intentional, deliberate act. This is no victim of something. This is with the power that God has given me of choice, I am able to control or to create the environment in which my mind lives. All right? You are not just random thoughts and thought patterns that you are subject to. The Bible teaches that you and I, with the exercise of our will, are able to direct our minds in the right places. And so he says, take the helmet of salvation. This, in this matter of the mind, there is a deliberate, intentional act. Take. It's kind of like 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. The same idea. When he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive same idea, talking about the mind, arguments, and um, uh, things that set itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That word take captive there is a soldier with a spear forcibly taking someone captive. That's what we do with our minds. Take the helmet of salvation, an intentional, deliberate act. So this helmet that I'm putting on, that I'm protecting, intentionally, deliberately understanding that my thought life is something in which God calls me to take deliberate, intentional action with, uh, is, is a part of this thing. But he continues, he doesn't just take the helmet he, he, he gives it a definition. He gives it further explanation. What is it that is called to determine the flow of my thought life? And it's the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. In this warfare, where the assault of the enemy sometimes is brutal and it's violent with the broadsword. Obviously, there's arrows that if you didn't have a helmet on, it's not going to feel great to get an arrow right to the head, right? It's this helmet of salvation. And so I want to take a moment and help you and I think about how God presents our salvation to us in the Word of God. It's in this idea that in the New Testament, salvation is presented through three tenses, all right? Three tenses, what I would call three tenses of salvation. How we think about what God has done for us, what he is doing in us, how he is saving us, right? The purpose of Jesus coming to this earth was to save his people from what? Their sins. Can I get an amen on that? 
Not sure what we're doing here if we don't. Right? The big, the big enchilada right here. Salvation. What I need to know, God has come into this world to save me, to rescue me. And so when he talks about salvation and we are to put on the helmet of salvation, it's kind of presented in the the scriptures in this way. A past sense of our salvation, a present sense of our salvation, and there is a future tense or sense of our salvation. And so would you just think through this with me and then we'll come to an application uh, uh, toward the end of this. In the past tense, right? It's what this big word we use in scripture is justified. We have been justified because of the work of Jesus on the cross. The penalty for my sin has been paid. And I am saved in a legal sense and even in a past sense where I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. Are you following me? I'm saved. My past is forgiven. I have been acquitted of my former life. I'm saved because the work of Christ on the cross has has paid the penalty that needs to be paid for the actions of my sin before a holy and a righteous and a just God. Something needed to happen to make that right. Jesus takes our place. And when I say that I'm saved, I understand that my sins have been forgiven and I have been saved from the penalty of my sin. It's kind of like Romans chapter 8 verse 6 would say this. It says that the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. In other words, that when I have moved from Uh, into a relationship with God and I have been acquitted of my sin I have been forgiven of my sin the life now that is present with God in a saved relationship through the presence of his Holy Spirit causes me to live a life that is full of peace the life before was governed by death And I am saved now because the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so in this understanding what has happened when I'm saved, there's this past tense of I have been been saved from the penalty of my sin, which is death. But there's also a present sense where In Scripture, there is always this idea of the present sense of my salvation. It's in this word, sanctification. I'm throwing big words today at you. Uh, Not only am I being saved from the penalty, have I been saved from the penalty of my sin, I am presently, through the sanctifying work of Christ in me, I am being saved from the power of sin. Right? How do I understand my salvation? How do I put this helmet on? How does it affect my thinking? What well, affects my thinking? And listen, my past is my past. It's been forgiven. I'm acquitted. I don't have to live in it. I don't have to feel guilty for it. There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. 
I'm saved from who I was and the, the effects of that and the circumstances of that. I've been saved from the penalty of my action, but also the salvation that's presented in Scripture, what God is doing with me and how he is saving me is there is a present tense to this salvation, and it is not only is he saving me from the penalty of sin, but he's saving me from the power of sin. That's why he uses words like dominion and slavery when he talks about this, this subject of sin in relationship to the believer. What is the relationship of sin to a believer? Very clearly, it is taught in Scripture. Jesus came into this world to save us from our sins. And Paul would present it in this way, that the power of God's salvific work in our life it's not just justifying us, saving us from the penalty, but it is more effectual in its work in saving us from the power of sin in our life. And that's what sanctification basically is. So I would say that two-thirds of the New Testament is focused on is you and I being saved from the power of sin. It's in these words, how does that happen, though? It's a Romans chapter 12 kind of understanding. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Then I will be able, or you will be able, to test and approve what God's will is. God's will is never for you to sin. God's will is always to break the power of sin in your life. Always. Never a, uh, uh, maybe, uh, God, the very reason he came was to save his people from their sins. Well, how is that happening? How am I able to live out God's will? God's will is always absent of sin, and in essence, my whole salvation is centered in my relationship with sin. That's what I'm being saved from. How does this work out? How is his good, pleasing, and perfect will worked out? It's through this renewing of my mind. I mean, if you look at this, at this, uh, at these words here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, you see that there's the word conformed. It carries with this idea of stamped, molded, or patterned. Again, if I'm stamped, molded, and patterned, then I am shaped. I am influenced, I am captive to do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Transformed, obviously, is this, this word change. It's this seventh grade science word, mortem, uh, metamorphosis. It's this idea of a butterfly uh, becoming, a, or caterpillar becoming a butterfly. You understand this. It's this idea of God affecting change. What's cool about this is this word transformed is a present imperative passive. Stay with me. Present means that it's ongoing. There's an ongoing transformation in the present tense in the Greek. In the imperative mood, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. 
or it's not a statement of fact. The indicative mood is a statement of fact. Imperative is you need, you must be transformed. It's mom and dad saying you have to pick up your room. Right? So this is not a suggestion box thing with Paul, with the Holy Spirit. You must be transformed. It's absolutely essential, necessary. It's in the imperative mood. But also, it's in the passive voice. So what does that mean? There's an active voice and a passive voice. What's amazing about this is that this transformation that is happening in my mind, the re- be transformed by the renewing of my mind, it's a, it is being acted upon me. I'm not responsible to figure it all out. I am simply responsible to Romans 12.1, give myself to God, and he works through me through my giving myself to the word and prayer and, uh, and surrender to him, that he does the work of transforming through the renewing of my mind. That's good stuff. I don't know if you realize that, but hopefully someday you'll, you'll realize that, that I don't have to change me. God, through the work of his spirit, is going to change me. Changing you is religion. God changing you is salvation. It's relationship. Transformation is not switching from a to-do list of the flesh to a to-do list of the law. No, when Paul talks about the list of the, 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 the works of the flesh, he doesn't replace it with, so in order to change the works of the flesh, you need to now do the works of the law. He simply presents to us the fruits of the Spirit. How am I going to change? How am I going to understand what it is to experience this life-changing work in me, this ongoing work of salvation, where not only is the penalty of sin removed, but the power of sin is being diminished in my life. It's crippled in such a, a way that it no longer controls me. How is this happening? It's a transforming process that comes about through God's spirit in me. And what he does is he renews my mind. This word renew is renovation. Think about all those shows that you watch, the before and after. It's literally what God begins to do in our hearts when we are saved. He begins to change the way that we think about life because we have thought about life in such an altered, selfish way fallen state that we need the complete renovation of our minds and just as I finish the kitchen I'm moving to the living room I need to do the dining room and you know it is a process an ongoing work of Christ but it is the renovation of our minds this is how you and I should understand salvation it's not just penalty it's power how does that, how are we freed, delivered from the power of sin? We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The last thing is the future tense, which is glorification. Another big word, glorification. You and I will be saved from the very presence of sin. Our salvation will finalize itself when we 
leave this world and we experience being glorified. When we see him, we will be like him. In heaven, the presence of sin is gone. And so not only has the penalty been paid, the power has been enacted, but the very presence of sin. And that is our salvation. And that is our hope. That is why Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he would say this, that but since you belong to the day, thinking this day, this future, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, he's using the same language, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The hope of our salvation is in this future tense of understanding salvation that one day you and I will absolutely be saved from even the very presence of sin. And so when I'm putting this on and allowing my mind to understand my salvation, it is in this way. How do I wear the helmet? I would say this. Reject doubts. That has to do with the past. Does God really love me? Did God really forgive me? Am I really a child of God? Am I really saved? Am I, you know, all these things, the doubts, is God really real? Does this really matter? All this stuff, based on what he has done in Christ and what his word says very clear that, that you and I, through confession, um, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We reject doubts. Having a healthy mind and understanding how to win this war in our mind in the matter of my salvation is a deliberate act, and there's so many scriptures I could reference with this, that I just reject doubts. I take my mind and I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and because of what he has done, I am saved. Amen? I allow my mind to be renewed. I just talked about that for a while. I keep an eternal perspective, right? That one day, the very presence of sin and my salvation will be complete because I am completely removed from the presence of sin. And I remember that the battle is won. And so putting on the helmet of salvation has to do with my mind, my thinking, and how I understand my salvation. Penalty, power, and presence of sin is being diminished. It's being removed from my life. And this is what continues to help me to train my mind, to keep my mind involved, to take deliberate, intentional action, to guard my thoughts and my heart. It's like what Philippians chapter 4 says. It's this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. That word think, dwell, in the old translations, it's the word dwell. It's like a cow chewing on his cud. That's a pleasant thought, isn't it? At least you maybe remember it. But just like he continues to, okay. Allow your mind to just, through deliberate action on take, take captive. I am only going to think about the salvation that God has provided me in Christ Jesus.
penalty of my sin is gone. The power of my sin is being diminished as I allow his word and his will to fill my life. And actually, the very presence of sin will be removed. That's the hope of our salvation. And so the idea is to put on the helmet, protect, guard your thought life from the negativity, from the doubts, from the fears, from the discontentment, all of those things. Think, dwell on the reality of what God has done for you in Christ, what he's doing for you in Christ, and what he has accomplished so that you might live it in Christ when one day you and I understand the hope of our salvation. Would you stand this morning and sing as we leave?